An uplifter is a compelling leader who tries to breathe life and hope into people around them. Who listen and care and guide and help. Whose way of being in the world inspires. Who uplifts with humor and understanding. Who leads by example. Don't judge. Vulnerable. Bold determination. Who are here to create a better world. Who can learn and teach. Who encourages you. Who shines their light to lead other people. Who uses their best self in order to help others. I found the life that I liked and I worked toward that. We are all uplifters. Mwah. Big love. This is my nomination to Melissa Ward as an uplifter. I'm Karen Poole, Chief Guide of the Body First Project. The reason I nominated Melissa is because she is an amazing leader and a woman of many firsts. My personal experience of her has always been as the most helpful person, steady guide, just makes everything go better. My younger sister, about a year ago, had an ankle replacement surgery and then had to have another surgery months later. And Melissa was the one person who showed up, who solved some big issues for us, and who just was this incredibly warm, welcoming, safe presence for the both of us who had been through so much, both my sister and I. So that's why I want to nominate her. It's because who she is able to be, not necessarily all the things that she does. So I hope you enjoy meeting her as I have. Definitely not just an inspiration, also just this incredibly settling and steady energy that impacts the world all around her. Welcome to the very first interview of the Uplifters podcast, the show where we talk to the women who inspire us to understand how they do what they do, where they find their strength and perspective and resilience so that we can all learn from one another's strengths and challenges. Because the people that we spend our time with have such a huge influence on our mindsets, our show is designed as an uplifter daisy chain. So each of our guests is someone who's inspired our listeners and previous guests. You just heard from Karen Poole, a woman who inspires me deeply. And she told us about Melissa Ward, a woman who inspires her. Now in this episode, you'll hear directly from Melissa. But first, let me just tell you a couple of things about her. Melissa is a United Airlines pilot and the first black female captain in commercial aviation. She graduated from the University of Southern California, where she played on a national championship basketball team. She then joined the U.S. Air Force, where she was an instructor pilot on the T-37 and the first pilot on a C-141. She was also the first black woman flight instructor for the U.S. Air Force. It's a lot of excellence. Welcome to the Uplifters podcast, Melissa. There are a lot of firsts in your story. That's correct. Yeah, <clears throat> that's sometimes just being in the right place at the right time, I think. Yeah? Yeah, I do. And then the other half of that is taking the opportunities that present themselves and 
trying to run with them. Yeah, yeah I'm really interested in hearing more about that because I think as women, and, and today is International Women's Day. It is. It feels just extra special to get to. Yes, it does. Day. And, you know, as women, I think we have had a tendency, many of us, to stand back from challenges or opportunities or to be intimidated. And women talk a lot about, you know, I, a friend of mine the other day said, I just, I got to channel my tall white man courage here. <laughs> um, I, I would tell her to, to channel her own tall courage yes. there because I well, think women are, were, are more courageous than men. I agree. Yeah. I agree. I think there is a boldness though that maybe we get talked out of at some point in, in adolescence, many of us. And when I read your, your story and I, I've heard you share your story, so much of it was just you saying yes to opportunity. Right. Yeah. And I think that comes a lot from my mother. You know, she didn't go to medical school until she was about 24 years old, mother of three. She was, she had a master's in medicine and was working on, I think, a cure for some disease with uh, lab mice and decided I'm not helping people enough here. So she just said one day, I'm going to go back to medical school. And so to watch her do that with three kids while she's still at the time, and we're talking like the seventies here. So, you know, she's still making dinner and washing the clothes and doing all the, the mom stuff as well as doing her own career. I mean, when you have a mom that does that and becomes the first black woman to graduate from the university of Chicago medical, you pretty much feel like, yeah, you can do anything. I mean, and if, if your mom can do it, you definitely can do it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's yeah, a lot so, of neuroscience that, uh, and, and other research, frankly, that's been done that's shown that we, you know, it's the whole see her, be her idea. Right, exactly. Yeah, that if we believe something is possible, we are better prepared to explore and fail, right? To, to right. Ma- and that's what courage is, right? It's not like you're not going to fail, but it's that you're going to keep trying. Yeah, either that or, you know, I think the, the, the difference between men and women is that men don't care. They're like, I'll try it. And if it doesn't work, I'll just try something else. And they really don't care. And I think women care. They care about not just trying, but doing well. And they see not doing well as a failure. And so that reflects poorly on themselves. And that's why women, I think, are sometimes a little bit timid to take an opportunity that men aren't. And you know, we, we see this a lot in sports. I had a, a softball coach who coached both men and women. And he said, the difference between the men and the women is the men don't care if they strike out. They just go, that's all right. I have another at bat coming up next inning. And, you know, the women would like hang on to that strikeout for, for, you know, and it would affect the next at bat and the next at bat. So it was something that I learned fairly early on in, you know, the psyche of men versus women. And I realized, you know, opportunity is, you know, you have to just grab it and don't just work hard. If you work hard, you don't have to worry about failure. And so. did that just come naturally to you? Or was that, was that something you had to sort out how to do to let go of the strikeout? Well, I think you have to, I think as an athlete, I did have a little bit more learning than, than other folks had the opportunities to, to fail and to, to succeed. But I also think that I got better at it as I got older. So I definitely wanted to succeed all the time. And, you know, I, at USC playing on the basketball team, I walked onto that team and it was a national championship team. So it was a team that did not fail very often. 
And so you do, you know, you learn that you want to succeed and, and that that's what the goal is. And maybe you, I don't know if you ever really learn to take the losses better. You just maybe learn to work harder to avoid the losses. Hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, I think definitely the hard work element of this comes through in your story. There's also something you just said that I think is really distinctive, which is I wanted to succeed. Oh, absolutely. And we all, we all want to succeed. Yeah. You know, but we're taught not to say we want it. I agree. And, you know, because they don't want to come off as being, you know, too greedy or too ambitious, you know, because then we have other labels come with them and and none of those labels are, are, are naturally positive. And so, you know, I think that that is definitely something we need to change in, in the younger generation of women today is that, you know, you're, you should decide what you want to do on your own. And you should just put all of your effort forward and nothing can stop you but you. And if you, you know, don't succeed at something you do, then find something else and do that really well. You know, and there's no shame in failure. But I do believe that a lot of women in my generation and and before my generation were told not to try. Mm -hmm. So that um, luckily was not my family. So we were always told to try. Yeah. Well, and I think what you're doing is you're normalizing failure as a part of the process. It is. I mean, that makes that's what makes you better, right? So, I mean, you know, I'm a big baseball fan. You know, if you if you only succeeded at your job 30% of the time, you would probably not be doing the job you're doing. But baseball players deal with that every day. So, it's kind of interesting to watch the game and and to see how do they get past it, you know, and and move on and 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 get better and and so to me, it's and, you know, I, I always compare myself to the baseball player. I'm like, well, I'm definitely better than 300% or, or, you know, a third of the time. So I'm doing all right. And I'm just going to keep moving forward and getting better every day. It's like putting it in perspective there. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. How, so you, it sounds like you have this very real conversation with yourself when you have setbacks. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, one of the biggest setbacks was going from high school to college onto a national championship basketball team and, you know, going from a starter who paid, played the entire game to hardly playing at all. And, you know, I had to decide what's my role going to be on this team. And so, you know, it, to me, you measure success in many different ways. And so the team success obviously is measured in wins and losses, but the individual success, if you're a starter is measured in your stats. If you're, if you don't play much, it's measured in, how good do the starters play against the other players? And so I vowed from day one that I would be the best practice player you've ever seen at the University of Southern California and that the starters would say, oh, it was easy playing that game because it's harder to play against Melissa every day in practice. So that was my goal every single day. And I took pride in that. And, you know, so sometimes I think it's also about knowing that, you know, you don't have to be the star to be successful, you just have to be great at what it is that you do that you're at your role. So I started early at being trying to be great every day in practice. And I think that's where I got the fortitude to, to try and be great at a lot of other things. It's interesting too, because I do think a lot of us start and we stop that conversation at the point of, well, I can't be the star or I can't be the dream. Yeah, I, I would hope not. I mean, I would hope that people I would hope that people would think, I mean, I would hope going into anything that that's exactly what you're trying to do is to be the star and to, 
you know, achieve the best success that you can, mm -hmm. you know? And so I don't know, I don't know too many people that goes, I just want to come in here and maybe be okay. Right. You know, and if, if that is where they're starting, then we need to change the, we need to change that directive mm -hmm. so that you always try to go in there to be the absolute best you can be, but you should only compare yourself to yourself yeah. and not to somebody else. Well, yeah. And I think there, there's something really interesting in what you said about, I went in and I was like, I'm not going to be the star of this team. I'm going to be the best part of this team in the way that I am of service and impact. Absolutely. That Absolutely. distinction I think is huge. I mean, in part because we, we don't see all the range of models and possibilities. And I hope through this show that we start to see more ways that, that women can show up and shine really freaking right. brightly in their own way. But I think there are just like, you can say, oh, you're up a captain or you're a, right. That's kind of a starring role. <laughs> it, it is, but I mean, it, it also, you know, it starts way before that. Nobody, nobody starts at the top. Mm -hmm. And so you have to shine in whatever role you start in to move up and, you know, and then you gain that confidence and, and people see that and they want to work with you and they want to work for you. And so that is becomes natural progression then. Right. So, yeah, I would say you always want to reach for the stars, but you can't, you know, learn to run before you learn to walk. So, you know, wherever you start at, at whatever you aspire to do, I'd say, you know, shine brightly, but but try and conquer the item that's right in front of you, not mm -hmm. the final goal. Right. Steps mm -hmm. along the way. Yeah. How yeah. do you mark those moments? Uh, you mean the successes? The little conquers. <sighs> Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, th I think I share them with friends a lot. I have, I belong to this women's group. It's just a bunch of friends of us. We actually titled ourselves the Wander Women because we choose to go do adventurous things together. And sometimes they're local and sometimes they're international. And so I think every time we have any kind of individual success, we share it immediately with that group. Like we will text in that group. That's the one place that we feel like you can kind of toot your own horn and nobody will, will blame you for it. I know a lot of people do that on social media, you know, that people can be very narcissistic on social media. And I try not to do that, but definitely with my small group of friends, and I would say there are probably about 12 of them. I definitely will say, Hey, this happened to me today. Or, or I will toot the horn of another woman in the group so that they have the opportunity to shine just in their small group. And that's how we mark our successes along the way. And I think that's so incredibly important to be, not only to realize you did something yourself, but that other people acknowledge what you did. And so that's where it, it pays to have a really good group of professional women that you spend a lot of time with that when they say, hey, congrats, I saw this or I heard this, that it makes you feel really good because you do need that positive reinforcement to you know, take it up to the next level and do better there. Yeah. And what is it about their opinion specifically? Well, I mean, we're all, we're all peers. I mean, we all have very similar backgrounds and we all have, although di very different career fields, we're all very successful in our career fields. And so these are the people that, you know, they, they are the standard. And so when they say you did well, you know, you did well, because they'll be the first ones to say you didn't do well either. You know, like why, why, hey, hey, is that the best that you, you, you've got? You know, you can do much better. And so I think that kind of honest feedback 
is what makes me better personally and everyone in the group better and the group itself such a really fun group to hang out with and go do things with yeah, it sounds yeah. like you enjoy one another a lot. Oh my God, it's such a fun group. Yeah. We just got back from Mexico. That was the last Wonder Woman event. And I think the next one, we, oh, well, we do theater group pretty much almost once a month. So we've been, we started that last October. And, you know, there'll be something coming up like the last play we just saw, we saw To Kill a Mockingbird. And so, you know, that turned into a dinner and a, and a play event and, and a lot of discussion. And it's really been, just a, a fantastic subset of friends that, you know, I can't imagine not spending time with them. Yeah. Sounds really enriching. And I think, yeah, it is. We, so much of, of what I hear from you, I, I like, I keep using the word normalizing in my head, right? Like yeah. we talked about there will be failures, right? That is a practice of normalizing what we call the oscillating narrative, right? That there are highs and there are lows and they are a part of the journey. And every time you climb up from a low, you climb up stronger and wiser and better equipped to manage the next low and the next high. Exactly. Right? And so there is this normalizing of the highs and lows. There's this normalizing of celebrating success and of the power of female friendship, which I think we just don't talk about enough. We celebrate intimate relationships a lot in our society, but I think what you're pointing to is the importance of having other relationships. Yeah. And you know, the second piece of that is that then you also have a group of professional women friends. And one of the shortcomings I think of women in general is that we don't lift each other up. We don't support each other as much as we do. We compare other women in our career fields to ourselves. And we say, oh, well, they're not doing it as well as I did it. So I don't want them to get any attention because I don't want someone to think negatively of me. And and that's the one thing men don't ever do. Men never worry about how their buddy is going to reflect on themselves. They, they promote their buddies all the time and they never hold them back. And I think women need to learn not to hold each other back. I think we need to be the one that lifts people up or pulls them up. Um, and each one be one type of mentality, because until we do that as a, a group, we are never going to find ourselves on equal footing with men. Hmm. I think that's a really interesting point that that is in its own right, a limiting factor. in. Progress. Oh, it is. It is. Absolutely. I see it a lot in my career field. Huh. And so how do you counter that as a woman, as a leader, as a first of first? Yeah. I, you know, every time I have an opportunity to speak to a women's group, I talk about it. I talk about the importance of not that you, not only should you, you want to succeed for yourself, but that you should want to, to succeed for others. And that you need to, if, if you feel that you have a female colleague that's not doing well enough, then you, that's your responsibility to, to coach them up and make them better so that they can succeed at the level or maybe even you know, pass you by. And so, you know, it's, it, it, it has through the 30 years I've been at United Airlines, I've seen this particularly on the pilot hiring side where women pilots who were doing the interviews were strong, were, were more strict on female candidates than they were on the men, male candidates. And I was like, this is ridiculous. You talk about the fact that only 7% of women pilot or pilots at United are women. And and how are we going to increase those numbers? We increase them by actually hiring women that are competent and able and stop comparing them to you who've been at the airline for 20 or 30 years. 
you know, you have to compare them to you when you first got hired. If, or how about let's just compare them to themselves and to the standard and say, do they meet the standard? Yes. And I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that she succeeds in what in, in this whole endeavor. So I think that it, it's true across all career fields. I just think women judge each other and they, they hold each other back. It's just something natural about it that we need to be conscious of and, and cease and desist. Is there do you think <clears throat> a fear-based mindset behind it? Like there's only so many seats at the table. I've got to hold on too tightly to mine. I think that was where it started. You know, I think that a lot of women felt like, okay, there's only going to be one position for a woman in this company or in at this executive level or even in the pilot world. And so because they felt there were a limited number of chairs, they wanted to put the absolute best candidates in there. But that is not true anymore. That is something we have to let go of. There, the the limit on the number of seats is how many seats are there, because all of them can be filled by women. Is you know, like what did Ruth G say all the time? The the answer was when there are nine, and the question was when, when will there be enough women on the Supreme Court? And I love that because that's exactly the attitude that we have to have as women, no matter what career field we're in, and when we are assisting or or interviewing or, you know, other women for these positions, we have to realize there will never be enough. And so give everyone the opportunity that deserves it. Why do you think women make great leaders? Oh, I think that, well, just physically, I think we're stronger. I mean, we're obviously not stronger than men one-on-one, but I think mentally we're tougher. I mean, women bear children. I don't think there's a single man out there that could deal with that kind of pain, not to mention the pain of of life itself from the time we can all remember being around 10 or 11 years old until, you know, we die. We always are dealing with something and, and, and we live longer. So we deal with much more of it as well. But I also think it's because we're a little bit more rational. We don't think that the solution to everything is, well, let's just go out back and settle this. You know, I think that we, we think logically, we're like, okay, wait a minute, why don't we compromise this a little bit? You want this and I want this. Why don't we find some fair ground in the middle? And so um, I do think we would... This world would be better with a lot of women leaders of countries. This country would be better if there were more women in the House and the and Senate. And I I do believe it's because they they think more logically, and they they I I also think they sit, seek for compromise more than men do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're right, especially about compromise, this ability to to find common ground. Absolutely, it's it's inherent in our DNA and it is our ancient survival mechanisms. I mean, it's something as simple as book club. You know, we all have to decide on the next book and we, we eventually figure it out. Even if it's not a book we don't, we, we particularly want to read. We, we figure it out and we agree on one and we move on maybe knowing that there'll be another book next month. And, you know, I mean, men don't even have book clubs. So I mean, they don't even have those, you know, the, the little small groups that we, we, that we practice these things every single day. So, you know, not to mention that if you have children, you know, the mom is the one that's usually dealing with, you know, how am I going to, sort the issues out between the kids and, and, and between their friends. And, you know, you seem to be more hands-on, you know, for my wife and I, we both had to deal with that. And we tried to share that responsibility because it it is, it's a tough job. And I just think more women do it. And so it makes them national, natural negotiators. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think you're right. It is that. It's the emotional intelligence too. Yeah. And that is why so many women end up carrying so much of the emotional labor in families and why I think it can be really hard to do both, to run a company or fly a plane and lead a family and like lead the emotional labor for a family. It, it's a lot. And I, it is. I think we can't underestimate either how heavy that can be. But I think too, what you're reminding us of is that we can create support networks to make it lighter and to make it a little bit easier to carry. And it's all, it, there is a, a mindset involved in this that can make it feel tremendously heavy and unbearable or can make it feel like it is just a part of that oscillating narrative. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and so, I mean, I feel like if you can, if you can, uh, you know, deal with all of the things women deal with on a daily basis, then, you know, running a company is easy. You know, it's, it, and, and so just take the, you know, dial back a little on the emotion. I'm not saying be emotional less because I think people that work with emotion that really truly believe in the outcome and, 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 and have a passion for it and they're going to do better work, but you don't want to, I, I used to have a motto in college, control your emotions or they will control you. So mm. I thought about that a lot because I was a little bit of a hothead in, uh, in the, especially in my military duties in the, in college. And so I realized I had to kind of pick and choose my battles. Yeah. It's interesting. So talk to me about your own personal growth. Like how have you evolved as a human being over the course of your life? Well, I would say I started out kind of like the bull in the China shop, you know, that I was, you know, everywhere I went, I was usually the only woman and maybe the only black in the group, definitely the only black woman in the group. And so I kind of like, you know, announced myself and, 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 and walked in with a chip on my shoulder and defied anyone to tell me I didn't deserve to be there. And then I realized later in life that you can do so much better job by just being yourself and being more subtle. And, and I go, people recognize your work through your work and you don't have to, um, you shouldn't thrust upon them the, what you think they're thinking. Um, so, mm. you know, now I walk in a room and I'm just, you know, this is me and I'm going to do a great job. And, you know, if, if I, you know, if you don't believe that I'm going to do a great job, you'll just have to, you know, be proved wrong. And I don't, you know, I do everything a little with a lot more humor and, and more smiles and, and definitely with more grace than I did when I was younger. For certain, I was in the Air Force. I was a scheduler, so it was a flight scheduler. You know, the students had certain flights they had to do per day, and I scheduled the entire flight. So, and all the instructors, and and I was pretty mean when I was a scheduler. Like, I had a sign that said, "Don't bother the scheduler at work." You know, <laughs> and if people interrupted me, I did not have any patience for them. And years later, I looked back on that and I realized I could have been so much nicer and done an even better job. And, you know, I did it because I did it that way because that's the way the scheduler before me did it. And it seemed like that was the way to do things. And, and I realized that, you know, sometimes the best way to do things is to be yourself and to, to create, create your own job description and, and then and make it fit you. You know, and then you're, then it's natural. Everything comes so natural for you. And, and, and you're, you're obviously going to be good at it because it's you. It's authentic, yeah. you know. 
Well, and I think it, it's interesting. This has come up a lot in conversations I've had today, but there are all these different ways that we sort of hide ourselves, whether it's a woman who says, oh, I grew out my gray hair and now suddenly I feel like me. Or I was talking to a woman today who said, in my, yeah. my whole professional life, I was this woman, Catherine, and I felt like I was getting scolded by other, other people at work. And so finally I went back to the name I had grown up with, which was Kit. And I felt like I to, got to bring my full joy Yourself yeah. to work, right? So there yeah. are all these little things we put on because they feel like professional or acceptable or normal, right? And, but here you are walking into rooms constantly where you were the first one in the room who looked like you or the first woman, the first black woman, the first gay black woman. I mean, right? Right, like, right. There were yeah. a lot of. Yeah. A lot of places where you were breaking ground there. Did you feel the need to, I mean, was like this intensity that you described? Was that like part of like, I got to, I got to fit in here somehow and this validates me or was it a defense? I don't, or was it? I, I, I think I, I didn't, I didn't, I walked in with the intensity that I had a responsibility to do really well so that the next person that looked like me or fit into any of those categories that I fit into, that they had it a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. And so to me, it was a, a little bit more of a burden in the sense that like when I upgraded to captain, I didn't know I was going to be the first black woman captain of a passenger airline. I thought I knew I was going to be the first black woman captain in United Airlines. And I thought I cannot mess this up. Mm -hmm. And so I, I studied and, and carried that burden throughout the entire process to make sure, and I, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't just good enough either. I wanted to be like the best student that I'd ever gone through training so that the next black woman that came through training as a, a captain, they you know she would say, someone's done this, it can be done. And so I would say it was more of that burden that I brought with me as opposed to any statement that I wanted to make to anybody else. The statement was mostly to myself. But by the time I did do that upgrade training, I had, you know, I had been a pilot, a professional pilot for probably at least 13 years by then. So I had matured to that. I would say that that first lieutenant and in the Air Force when I was first learning to fly, that's not how I looked at it. I looked at it like I, I had to defend my position. I have a right to be here type thing. And I realized that a lot of that was really, I was thrusting that opinion upon others right so now i don't even care who's in the room you know i don't i don't do a head count anymore i used to head count and now i walk in the room and i go i really don't care in the, who's in the room i'm in the room, I'm in the room. And, I, and that's all that matters right so that's kind of the way i look at it that is it right there yeah. and like i i guess the thing that i marvel at is it doesn't sound like your head is getting in your way it sounds like you have you have sort of an uh, uh, an extraordinary level of confidence and 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 self efficacy. It's rare. Well, I I may not be as rare as you think. Was as a pilot, it's very self critiquing if you're not mm -hmm. doing well. And so you know, it's it's a job where you have to be confident, obviously, to do it. Mm -hmm. And then you realize that you make mistakes and you need to correct them. And so it's not about being perfect. It's about recovering from, yeah. from errors and everyone makes mistakes. And so, you know, the, the, the idea is let's limit the mistakes that we do make to something small if we can. And then let's, let's not worry about, let's not dwell on the mistake we made. Let's 
let's find a solution and move on. And so I think that that all comes from being a pilot though. That really, you know, that's the, that is the job, you know? And so, you know, a lot of pilots will seem overconfident, but the truth is we've, every single one of them, they've all crunched a landing on where they're like, Oh, that was the worst landing ever, or they've made mistakes. And so, you know, you, we can't let those mistakes, you know, defeat us because there's, it's, it's more than us. I mean, we're carrying, you know, 150 plus people on board. And so they're counting on me to be confident and not to be overconfident. So I would hope that, that that's the attitude you would see from all the pilots that you would encounter is that little bit of confidence without being too cocky, Mm -hmm. you know, and realizing that everyone makes mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. I think too that <laughs> that is maturity, right? But it's also it's also being okay with making mistakes and learning, right? So it's this the we talk a lot about the difference between a win lose mindset, right, and a win learn mindset. And so if we have a win learn mindset, we can't lose because we are always learning. And Absolutely, learning is the winning, right? And I, I was talking to my twelve year old this morning on the walk to school about, I think we've gotten into a place in society where we feel like if we're uncomfortable at all, if we're not happy, if we don't feel joyful and balanced, then there must be something wrong. And like there's, there's sort of a, we've gotten to a place I think where we we feel like it's broken if it's not working. But I think what you're saying is, yeah, we're going to get uncomfortable all the time. And we're going to keep learning from it and pushing through it. And I just think sending yourself that message all day, every day, <laughs> yeah. that's the game. Yeah. Well, and that's how you get better. I mean, you put yourself into challenging situations. You learn from them. You may make mistakes the first time, but then the next time you encounter that, you should make less mistakes or maybe no mistakes at all because you've already, you know, gone through it. So every day is a learning experience, you know, and and that's personal relationships, that's professional work ethics. I mean, it's everything you do in life is you're going to make mistakes. And so I, you know, I, I've always had that attitude about, well, I'm not going to be perfect. I'm going to try and get better every day. Sometimes I achieve it and sometimes I don't. And, you know, so, but I got a lot more living to do. So, you know, I figure, you know, maybe I'll get it right by the time I'm hundred. <laughs> so as somebody who's done all these amazing things, but is far from a hundred. Yeah. Not closer than I was. <laughs> Aren't we all? Thank goodness. Yeah, I guess that's a, a good thing. <laughs> so what's next? What what dreams do you still have? Well, my dream of retirement. Uh, mm. That's my that's my current dream. So that's the pilots have a mandatory retirement age. So and since working as a pilot is kind of like being retired on active duty, meaning that we get about half the month off. It's kind of hard to walk away from such a good job. So I plan to fly until I'm 65, but but definitely after that, I plan on a lot of golf with my wife and our friends and a lot of travel with the Wander Women. One of our bucket list items as a group is uh, the Galapagos, which mm. you know we, we definitely want to go achieve here in the next 10 years. And, and so I... I'm really looking forward to the next chapter where it's a lot more fun and a lot less work. And the work is more on the relationships or, you know, managing, <laughs> managing your money so that you can afford to do everything you want to do 
or, you know, just possibly, you know, trying to not get too bored with the fact that you don't have any work to do, right? There's so many gentlemen at work that they retire and, and immediately they are back into some aviation related workforce working. And I'm like, why are you still working? You just retired. And they're like, oh, I just love flying. I just can't walk away from it. And I'm like, oh, I can walk away from it. I There are so many other things I want to conquer that I don't have the time to do. One of them is just to clean my office. And so, you know, it there are there is a lot to do on the to-do list. I'm looking forward to that. I, I'm, I'm almost counting days. Mm. What do you still want to learn? I'd like to learn to play pickleball better <laughs> because I realize that a lot of my friends are way better than I am and I don't like that. Uh-oh. And I would like to learn how to express my opinion strongly without having to get into an argument about it, which I think is something everyone could achieve. Mm-hmm. And I would... I might even like to learn to speak Spanish a little bit better. So, because I don't speak it well at all. So, um, yeah. Inspire you. (laughs) Yeah, uh, a little bit. That and just, you know, I mean, that Spanish is a language that that you encounter quite a bit in your day to day lives. And I just would like to communicate better. So, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that at least two of your goals came back to communication. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We have CRM in work, so we talk about it every day, crew resource management. And so, and it's, there's a lot of different parts to it, but the biggest one is communication. And and the biggest part of that is probably listening. And I, I would say that everyone needs to listen better. And I'm definitely one of those people. So yeah, that probably is another goal I should put on there too, (laughs) to listen better. Listen better. Yeah. It's a big, big way we learn, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's a big way I think we find out what other people really want and need so that we can be successful. Yeah. Instead of what you think they want and need because you thought you heard one thing when they really said something else. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Parenting yeah. is helping. You find that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it was definitely, I did get a little bit better there. And then I, and then you, but then parenting also makes you bad at listening because you start tuning things out because you've heard a lot. So you have to kind of relearn it as, as they get older. They now market earplugs to parents that are like half sound so that you can't really hear your family anymore. Oh, that's really, that's terrible, isn't it? But yeah, but I, but kind of true. Yeah. We just say there, there are, are filters. Days. Yeah. We just have filters. You know, you turn your ears to either all or, you know, no kids, no wife, you know, you can just set select, put the selector anywhere you want. I'm trying to leave it in all so I can hear everyone. So Yeah. yeah. And maybe retirement would give you a little more time. Oh, I can't wait. I'm going to, I'm going to try and perfect retirement. There's, that's for sure. So who are the women that inspire you? Well, my, my mom, for sure. When I when was starting I out. Her and she inspires me. Yeah. She's pretty, she's pretty, I mean, she's delivered like half of my friend's kids, you know? So every, I mean, I, I, I was at an, so she's an OB- so OBGYN. Oh. Yeah. So there were. Uh, I was at an event uh, about two weeks ago and a woman came up to me in Chicago and she's like, you know, your mom delivered my kids. And I didn't even know her. And I was like, oh my God, are you kidding me? And she's like, yeah, tell, make sure you tell her I said hi. And she works for United Airlines in some other department. And I, I just thought that what, what a random event, except for that my mom was, you know, one of one of the first and only one of the few, I should say, women OBGYNs in Chicago. So when 
they when she started practice, a lot of women wanted to have a woman OBGYN. So it just became, you know, she it was, I guess, natural progression. But then I would say that a lot of the women that inspired me in college were my on the basketball team. I, I played with probably the best women to ever play the game, Cheryl Miller. Cynthia Cooper, Pam and Paula McGee, you know, it was awe-inspiring to watch what they could do on the basketball court and how they just, you know, naturally knew that they were going to win. And so that kind of really taught me early that, you know, you can have that attitude. Like, I, I just want to win. I, I mean, and there's nothing wrong with that. And there's, you know, I carried that with me and it really made me believe that nothing was impossible. And then moving forward, I, I met a, once I got out of the Air Force and I went to United Airlines, I met a woman once who, she was an FAA inspector and she was giving me a checkout and I, and her name is Emily Warner and I didn't know who she was, but she was the first woman commercial pilot in the United States. And she had trained for years. She had trained all of the male pilots because women couldn't get hired as pilots at a commercial airline. And so, you know, someone introduced us and said, you guys, you, you both are kind of first. Did you know that? And she didn't know who I was and I didn't know who she was. And so that was really cool because, I mean, she was, she was the icon, you know, I mean, like she's in a, you know, a modern day Amelia Earhart or Bessie Coleman. And, and it was really very cool to kind of parallel her path there for a short time where we actually worked together closely and she taught me a lot. So yeah, that was pretty, pretty amazing. And she always did it with such grace in class. And I always said, I want to be like Emily. I want everyone to, to respect me and like me, uh, which I think are two different things Mm -hmm. and don't necessarily go together. And so, yeah, she definitely was inspiring to me. So yeah, I've had quite a few along the way. Yeah. This is some pretty amazing women. And it sounds like your life is very much sustained by by inspiring women, whether it's your wife or the the wander women. Yeah. I wish it were my kids too. I'm not sure I inspire my kids, but I'm trying. I have twin girls. And so, you know, and they're trying to find their path right now. And and, and so it's time to be patient and let them figure that out. But I'm very proud of them as well and, and the hard work that they put in every day. And, but yeah, you know, and now for me, it's more about watching. So now what really inspires me is, so we went from, there were, I was the first black woman captain at United and I was the only for a long time. And then Two other women upgraded, and they were very senior. They were actually, I think, both senior to me, but they they have a quality of life issue. They wanted to, to keep a, a quality of life. And they also wanted to fly international. So they waited to upgrade until they were international captains instead of domestic like I am. And But then there were three of us, and then one retired, so then we were down to two. That was last February, and now... At United Airlines, we have eight black women captains. We went from two to eight in a span of about eight months. And it has been very exciting to see that explosion of career paths for these women. And so now I'm inspired by them and what they're doing and and the press that they're getting and, and the, you know, the accomplishments that they're making, because I feel like in maybe one really small way, I made it easier for them to do it because no one even blinked an eye when they upgraded. No one said, oh, you know, this is really a, a big moment because no one's ever done it before, you know? So hopefully it was just another, you know, 
school to go through at United Airlines. And so it's been really exciting to watch their careers and knowing that, you know, things are in really good hands. And so, you know, to me, this is the time to, you know, just kind of be in the wings and, and, you know, and, you know, make my speeches wherever I have to, and just try and encourage as many people to try the career field and, and watch it grow. You know, it's really been kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Really incredible. And I, I can, only imagine the ripples that come from this. Yeah, so every well, woman that hears your story and then every woman that hears their stories and that that keeps rippling out as a deeper sense of belief and possibility until, like you said, it just becomes taken for granted. Of course, there's women in the sky. Right. Absolutely. You know, and so the numbers are bleak, you know, something around 5% of all professional aviators are women. Wow. Black women don't even register on the scale. It's less than a percent, less than like uh, half of a percent, I think. And so it's just, yeah, that is one thing that I hope, you know, in my lifetime that I will see numbers grow significantly enough that maybe we stop talking about the numbers, mm-hmm. you know? So I have a lot of hopes for that, you know, as we delve right here into Women's History Month and we'll be talking about this all month long, you know, it would be nice if, if we didn't have to have a Women's History Month because every month was Women's History Month. That would yes. be fantastic. Yeah. It'd be great if there were no more trailblazers needed. Right. Yes. Absolutely. That has always been kind of my mantra for not only for women, but for, for minorities as well. It's just let's stop celebrating first because we've accomplished it all. Mm-hmm. You know? And mm-hmm. hopefully I'll see that in my lifetime. Yeah. I hope yeah. so. I hope so. And I, I think you're doing... You're doing all the things. You're taking care of yourself. You're taking care of your inner circle. You're taking care of your role within your organization. And you're inspiring people at all, at all these different corners and angles and creating a greater sense of belief. Your daughters now are out there touching all these different people, taking for granted that this is what success looks like, right? And I just think yeah. that's that's how change happens. So what would you say to a young woman like, you know, say your twin daughters, who was looking for her place in the world? I would say find something you're passionate about doing it and then and pursue that. Because if you, if you can find something you love to do, then doing it every day won't seem like work. Mm-hmm. And then you never have that feeling of, oh, I have to go to work today. Because that always seems to be a negative connotation. But if you find something to do that you're really passionate about, and it really doesn't matter what that is. And the only measurement of success is against yourself and not against mm-hmm. anyone else, you know, and if you can go someplace every day and be happy and, and, and do your best and be your true authentic self, then you are incredibly successful in my book. And I'm the first one to be cheering you on. Yeah. I love that. I wondered how you define success. And I think you yeah. said it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Finding that place of greatness where you're deeply curious and... And maybe have some aptitude, right? Like I think too, I, I still think it's really interesting what you're saying about the basketball team, right? Like we're not all yeah. going to be the tallest person on the team. Right. <laughs> I wasn't even close. So yeah, I mean, you have to, you know, sometimes you have to find your role. And if you're, if you're going to be part of something that's really, truly big, mm-hmm. then, then you have to find what is your role in that, in that space and do it really well. So that the outcome of it is that the entire, you know, team or company or unit is going to be successful. 
you know, and I coached high school basketball for about seven years with a really good friend of mine. And one of our favorite things to tell the girls was try to be a part of something bigger than yourself Mm. and try to make your part, you know, the best that you possibly could be in that something that's bigger than yourself. And if you can do that, you will be, you will go home and sleep well every night going, I did something good today. Yeah. It sounds like you learned that from your mom too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. No doubt. Still do every day. She lives four blocks from me, so I hear it all the time. <laughs> Even better. I loved that that part of your your story initially when she said, I, I don't want to do this anymore because I could have more impact. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and she also made me realize that, you know, if you don't like what you're doing, change it. There, yeah. you're never, it's never too late to change. Yeah. It's so if you're, yeah, if you wake up one day and you're like, I really don't like my job or, or my career field or what I'm doing, do something else. I mean, you, you have the ability, just change it, you know? So we have one woman at United that I know of, I'm sure probably several, but she was in her thirties, I believe when she started learning how to fly. And she is now just upgraded to captain at United at 58, 59 years old. And it just, that's the, just goes to show you it, you're never too late. And so unless you get over 65 where they actually make a step line, but you know, I mean, honestly, if, if you don't like what you're doing or you've always dreamed of doing something else, go do it. You know, don't let anybody hold you back. Yeah. Beautifully said. All right. So lightning round to close this off. Sure. Absolutely. All right. One quick way you raise your own energy. Exercise. Mm. One easy way you boost other women. Laughter. One little way that you elevate your community, the planet, or the world. Contribute. Pretty powerful stuff. Thank yeah. you, Melissa. Thank you for listening to the Uplifters podcast. If you're getting a boost from these episodes, please share them with the uplifters in your life and then. Join us in conversation over at theupliftherspodcast.com. Head over to Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast and like, follow, and rate our show. It'll really help us connect with more uplifters and it'll ensure you never miss one of these beautiful stories. Mwah! Big love! Painted water sunshine with rosemary and thyme. Dwell in the perplexing, though you find it vexing. Toss a star and hover, be your own best lover. Relish in a new prime, plant a tree in springtime. Dance with idle hindsight, bring the sun to twilight. Lift you up, whoa. Lift you up, whoa. Lift you up, lift you up, lift you up, lift you up, lift you up. Beautiful. I cried. <laughs> <laughs> Your boy.
right? In the pre-chorus, uh, right? Uh-huh. I was like... <laughs> <laughs> Mommy, I stop cry crying. Mommy, stop crying. You're disturbing the peace. 